Welcome back to the Preacher's Podcast. Today we are doing kind of a combination episode talking about Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, both in one episode. We did this last year, um, and we'll get to the rationale in just a moment. Um, but I just wanted to talk about, for the sake of preachers who are preaching on both or either one of these days, giving you some food for thought um, and some perspective from a couple other preachers. So a new series is starting today also called Good News of Great Joy. You can read more about it in the Foundation Resources and find all the other uh, related uh, accompanying resources there. Uh, but the emphasis is simply this. Um, we are not celebrating at Christmas the arrival of advice. This is the arrival of good news, um, something that has happened that is for us, that God wants us to know about. We think of what the angel told the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. And that good news of great joy is for us and for all of our listeners as well. So this brief series is Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, the first Sunday after Christmas, and then it will also fold in the epiphany of our Lord. Good news of great joy is our theme. Let's meet our preachers for this series. They've been with us through Advent and will be with us through this Christmas series as well. Pastor Nathan Beagy from Victory of the Lamb Lutheran Church in Katy, Texas, and Pastor Caleb Shanick from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in College Station, Texas. First, just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the fact that Christmas worship practices vary from place to place. Um, and ask our two preachers, what have you done where you serve? Um, in other words, do you preach on both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? Do you maybe typically use a, a lessons and carols or some other service for one or the other, or a kid's service on Christmas Eve? Um, do you preach a regular sermon on both or either of the days? Do you do a shorter devotion? I just wanted to share experiences, not because we're trying to imply that there's a right way or a wrong way to do things. Things vary from place to place, and they vary based on the, the day of the week uh, on which Christmas falls, of course. So uh, 2023, we've got Advent 4 on a Sunday, Christmas Eve on a Sunday, Christmas Day on a Monday, but just wanted to get some thoughts that may uh, spur some further thinking in our listeners. So uh, Nathan, let's start with you. Um, what have you typically done on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, um, worship-wise and in terms of preaching? I'd say that our, our usual path is that the Sunday before Christmas, we'll have a Sunday school children's service. And I'll have a shorter devotion on that. And depending on what the kids are doing, that's, that's the, the layout of the, the service. But, but I'll always include at least a shorter devotion, usually not a sermon. And then Christmas Eve, we have done a mix of lessons and carols with a, I guess I'd say, a usual liturgical worship format, the, the divine service with, with the, the readings and and the the songs and so on. I will have a full sermon on Christmas Eve. And usually I preach on something from Luke 2. Once in a while I have it, but most times I'm, I'm preaching on, on a portion of, of Luke 2, 1 to 20. And then Christmas Day, we do not have a regular Christmas Day service, but, but we did have one in 2022 because it fell on a Sunday. And we um, that particular year, 
we did a, a lessons and carols on Christmas Eve and then a divine service with communion on Christmas Day. And both those two services, we had a full sermon for those. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Caleb, what's been your practice? Hi. Uh, college Station is a college town. Uh, that might be self-evident, but um, we were more of a community where people leave to go to grandma's house uh, rather than a place where people come to grandma's house to celebrate uh, the holidays. So uh, so one thing that our congregation's done that's been rather unique is uh, for about 40 years, we've invited international students to come and uh, have a Christmas celebration, an authentic, traditional kind of American uh, Christmas celebration here at our church. And, um, and so uh, we do a service earlier in the afternoon for international students, uh, and then we do a candlelight service at seven o'clock as well. So uh, for as nice as it might be to use the same sermon for both of those services, um, there are quite different audiences. So uh, so people wouldn't uh, be in both services necessarily, but because the audience is so different, um, it it's pretty amazing to be able to tell the Christmas story for the very first time to an audience that has maybe heard it, but primarily has never heard the story of Jesus' birth before, nor the meaning of it. So that's, um, you know, and you put that together with some of those passages in Luke 2, and, and it's quite poignant. So uh, so a modified form of service for the international students earlier in the afternoon, and then a, a traditional uh, service in the evening. Uh, I have not done the lessons and carols as much, because while uh College Station might not be a place where people flock to for Christmas. There, there is still a good number of visitors that come on Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, and so, uh, so I find myself preaching almost always off of uh, the text from Luke chapter two. Um, it just, it just seems to be with the increased amount of biblical illiteracy. Uh, and just maybe my idea of what a person's expectation might be that uh, that they would not only hear Luke two read in on Christmas Eve, um, but that the sermon would be based on Luke two as well. So, so that's that's our Christmas Eve, and then uh, we have traditionally had a service on Christmas Day, um, and very 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 few churches in town do have a, a church service on Christmas Day. Uh, I think our congregation has enjoyed the opportunity of celebrating the Lord's Supper on that uh, occasion, and um, and we've had the luxury of of having a few people say we looked all over for a Christmas service on Christmas Day and we couldn't find one, so we came to join you today, uh, and that's led to some neat outreach opportunities as well. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those. Um, so, Caleb, you've kind of hinted at this already, but um, uh, you in your various services, think more uh, message-oriented for guests, and even those who may not be familiar at all with the Christmas account, maybe on Christmas Day, if I'm hearing you right, a little bit more uh, for those who are familiar with the message. Um, yeah, how does that impact your your preaching, just kind of uh, your target audience um, for each day or each service? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. So Christmas Eve, very much nuts and bolts uh, going through the birth, uh, the, you know, the the history in Luke chapter two there, the, the details of the birth, the angels and the shepherds. Uh, and then Christmas Day, uh, really just to, I, I, I'm always amazed 
at how intimidated I am going into Christmas morning because it's like, oh boy, John one again, you know, I, I just preached on this last year. Um, what am I going to find to say new and different this year? Um, and, and yet, uh, Without a doubt, the Lord has given me the encouragement, usually through the words of a member or someone who's said uh, words of thanks or appreciation for hearing the words of John 1 on, on Christmas Day again. So uh, so I've, I've learned not to be apprehensive about that. And uh, really, it's probably led me to, to challenge myself a little bit and say, it's a big text, uh, rather than trying to handle all of it, um, to really challenge myself and say, just take a verse or even a phrase within a verse and really let that be the thing that drives the sermon for that day. Um, and go, go a mile deep, uh, on something that's only an inch wide instead of trying to, to go so, so wide on something and not very deep at all. So, so that's one way that I've handled that. And, um, yeah, got the, the faithful people of the church here and God's faithful people, uh, seem to have appreciated John one on Christmas morning that way. Great. Thank you. Uh, Nathan, how about you different approaches uh, or are you kind of always in uh, the mode at Christmas, especially Christmas Eve of keeping guests in mind or people there for the first time or people maybe with not a, a, a deep connection uh, or a church home of their own? Um, or do you think, um, different times of members versus guests, things like that? How do you approach it? Well, I think we definitely are in the camp of keeping guests in mind. Um, less is more for Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day if we have a service like that. And then more will come in time. Time's always on our side, especially when you're working with guests and people to, to have more time to, to share the word in lots of different times and places. Not like the only shot you have is Christmas Eve, it, it, hopefully. So I, I think that that guides our Christmas Eve thinking. Although I would also add, I think that guides just about all of our worship thinking. I don't know sure. if Christmas Eve is entirely different than any other service really yep. in, in as far as that goes. We, we work hard to preach with simple language, simple, strong language, like Caleb said, an inch wide, but a mile deep is, is what we're often going for. Right. And uh, I think that probably covers, covers a good snapshot of what, what we do here in Katie. Okay, great, great. Um, yeah, and um, the Leadership Conference, January 2023, you guys, people be listening to this after that has happened, but uh, Joel Russo, um, colleague here at the seminary presenting on preaching with the lost in mind or preaching especially with uh, outreach in mind. Um, so might have picked up or you can check out resources from his workshop, I think, related to that. But yeah, what you said, Nathan, I think is right in line with that. And, and you too, Caleb, uh, for your international uh, student service, especially um, just remembering that as familiar as we are with the Christmas account some are not. And so it, it's never a bad thing to just go over the basics of it and just in, in clear language uh, to tell about the good news of great joy and what that means for us. Um, so I wanted to talk also a little bit about the Gospels for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I know this can be a challenge for preachers if you're preaching on both of those occasions. 
not saying the same thing, um, two consecutive services. I kind of saw Luke 2 focusing on more the nativity, in other words, the circumstances of the birth of Jesus, and then John 1 for Christmas Day kind of unfolding the meaning of that, um, you know, John's simple but really profound language unfolding that. So more on the incarnation of Jesus, the word became flesh. Um, is that how you guys kind of viewed the distinction, or do you operate um, a little bit differently? Um, Nathan? Well, definitely view it that way, as well as the angle that that more and more I think about is the, the Luke 2 reading, really, Jesus doesn't have much activity in that. He's just born. Mm -hmm. the, the activity happens in the, the way Luke lays it out there. It's what Caesar Augustus did, and then what Joseph and Mary did, and then what God sent the angels to do, and then what the shepherds did, and then Mary pondered in her heart, the shepherds were glorifying and praising. But but the, the activity is all, all of them, and not really Jesus, compared to John 1, where in the... Uh, the scriptures there, we hear Jesus is eternal. Jesus is part of the Trinity. Jesus is a powerful creator. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And right. the list goes on. He's light. He's life. Um, but, and then, of course, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. So there, Jesus is the, the active one. And so I, I kept that in mind a little bit last year when we did have a Christmas Day service and preached on a part of Luke 2 and Christmas Eve, the activity of all the others. And then our, our vicar preached on Christmas Day, focusing on the, the activity of Jesus and then the peace that lasts because of, because of it. Okay. Great. Uh, Caleb, you, I don't realize you've talked about this a little bit already, but how do you see the distinction in themes between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? Uh, I, I hesitate to say this, uh, lest it be held against me, um, but facts and feelings, uh, maybe maybe senses uh, would be a, a better way. Luke okay. 2, the facts, or it touches the senses. You can hear uh, the, the animals uh, with the shepherds. You can hear the angels. You can see the straw in the, in the manger. Um, it, it, it touches on the senses, the facts of what's there. And uh, but um, the sensation of what this all means, John really lays that out. Uh, I, I don't want to say John 1 is all about feelings, but, um, but John writing in his you know, somewhat circular and poetic way, uh, his, his specific style, um, really, like you just want those words to soak in for a while. Um, I, I don't know that Luke 2 necessarily needs a lot of soaking in. Um, but uh, you, you think of Luke and his purpose and audience in writing, you know, I, I took it upon myself to make an investigation and here's, here's what I've discovered. This is how it happened. Um, and it's pretty neat to lay that out uh, sometimes and, and just to say, this is real. Um, this, this really happened. And it's, you know, it's news and, and the news is good. Um, of course, John 1 is good news also. Um, but you, you just, 
you maybe start with Luke 2 and then you advance to John 1, just from a progression of thoughts. Uh, I, I would be much less comfortable uh, preaching John 1 uh, to a group of international students who are celebrating Christmas for the first time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just let it soak in, let the sensation, not meaning feelings, but, uh, but just the sensation of the totality of, of God becoming man and what all that means for us uh, from John chapter one, um, just a bit more poignant, profound, um, contemplative, perhaps than, than Luke two. Okay. Yeah. Those are helpful distinctions, I think, or, uh, yeah, maybe not, maybe distinctions is too strong, but slightly different emphases for, for Luke two and John one. Um, I think that's helpful, especially if you are preaching on both of those. Um, can we go to Luke two for just a few minutes here, um, offering preachers, maybe some suggestions you've done that already, but any additional suggestions on preaching Luke two, one through 20, or how you've gone about that, or um, things that you have emphasized. So uh, Nathan, uh, or actually Caleb, let's go go back to you. You mentioned uh, you, highlighting the, uh, yeah, the senses, how this descriptive language kind of touches uh, us and kind of brings us into the scene there how just the facts of here's what happened, um, these things are important to relay as factual events. Uh, any further thoughts for preachers on uh, preaching Luke 2 or different points that you've brought out over the years um, at different times? Yeah, you know, with my my personal approach of, of really sticking to Luke chapter 2 as the, the sermon text on Christmas Eve, um, lest it become too redundant, you, you do have three nice divisions there. You've got verses one to seven, which talk about the details of the birth. So you've got um, that, and then you've got verses eight to 14, which are the details of the angels. Uh, and then you've got 15 to 20, which are the details of the shepherds. And so if you're just looking for a rotation, I think that provides uh, just a nice little structural rotation. Each year you could focus on a different thing and cycle through that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's such powerhouse verses in each one of those that, uh, that handling the text, I, I think is not too difficult. Um, some really neat things to point out there in the details of, of the first section, you know, it's talking about the baby, which baby, what other baby is there? Um, and then the fact that it's the firstborn, a son and all of the old Testament, uh, golden thread that, that flows from Genesis up until that point, um, and then all of those explicit prophecies to Mary and, and uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah and Joseph, um, that all that all is nice. The, the angels then, again, I, my ministry will forever be impacted by the, uh, by the context here, but uh, you just hear that verse, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Um, and then you couple that together with glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men. Um, and, you know, and I, I look out over a sea of, of international uh, students when I'm saying that, and that's, that's pretty powerful. Um, of course, that I think is powerful, apart from an international audience as well. Uh, and, then, and then the last one, uh, the, the, the conversation with the shepherds, I, I'd maybe just uh, something that I've found over the years, and I don't see this in too many commentaries, but um, if you just slow down 
in verse 17 and, and 18, uh, talking about the shepherds. Uh, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. Um, that's the NIV translation I just read there. And, and the King James is not too different. Uh, it says they spread abroad or uh, made known abroad, I think. And, and maybe that spread concept in the NIV comes from the King James that is before it. But the word is just a very simple speak. And, um, and, and you know, I think that the, the theme of go tell it on the mountain, uh, where the shepherds are telling everyone and anyone that they see is very true um, and very vivid in our minds. But, but that might be verse 20, more than it's verse 17 and 18. And if, if this is related to us chronologically by Luke, um, the one thing that we would know for sure, even though it sounds a little bit strange, is that the shepherds would have spread the word concerning to all who heard it. And um, it, it might just be talking about the audience in the nativity at that time, which we don't know exactly who that audience would have been, except we do know for sure that it would have been Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think just at a time when Christmas can become so like, this is big, everyone celebrates it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, known by a lot of people and and whatever else, but just to really take that and slow down on it and say, just look at the personal nature with which God planned the communication of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That the shepherds, which that's an interesting thing in and of themselves, that they were shepherds, were ministering to Mary and Joseph at the side of their newborn baby. Um, that that maybe is just the something to slow down and, and think about. And that just moments, hours, minutes, who knows, after his birth, Jesus heard the gospel being spoken on earth through the lips of a human. Um, that's maybe something interesting too. But anyway, just the personal powerful nature of that. Yeah, thank you for those thoughts. Uh, Nathan, uh, anything to add on... Luke 2 and how you've approached it or different emphases from the text that you've brought out at different times, different years? Well, maybe maybe once I've preached on all 20 verses and far more often, like Caleb described, I'll preach on one of the three sections he described, either 1 to 7 or 8 to 14 or 15 to 20 um, or another, another segment of it, I guess. But uh, I think... A really important one that that you can easily see through this is what matters to the world does not matter to God. And what matters to God does not matter to the world. And there's just so many examples of that. Why is Caesar Augustus a wealthy, powerful man, an afterthought? But the shepherds are a big deal in this account. Um, why, why the manger and not a golden cradle? Why no room in the inn? So they're out here where no one else would ever be with a newborn in, and not in a palace. There's just one after the next. What matters to God does not matter to the world. And what matters to the world, money, power, does not 
matter to God. It's just not something his heart is attached to. So there's there's a really great great opportunity to to help people think about that as as Christmas has become so materialistic and and the distractions are plentiful if you aren't careful. Um, the other one that I really have honed in on the last year or two with Luke 2, especially in the, the last third of it there, is since the activity is primarily shepherds, Mary, Joseph, angels, and, and Jesus is just born, even though he's the centerpiece of it all, he's not really having much activity. Thinking about what, what kind of an echo chamber was the heart of the shepherds? What was bouncing around in their heart? What was bouncing around in the heart of God who sent his son? What was bouncing around in the heart of Mary as she was pondering all these things, treasuring them up? Um, an echo chamber is when you have like-minded thought bouncing all around without much opposition, and that can be good, and that can also be very bad. And so a malady might be, what if, what if doubt is bouncing all around? Or, or what if greed and money and I want more, more, more is bouncing all around? What if a casual approach to Christmas, this is a few extra days off of work, what if that's bouncing all around in your heart and that's, that's just, you, your heart is an echo chamber of that compared to what if God sent his son to save me from an impossible situation? Is bouncing all around in your heart all the time. What if you keep gathering details about how gracious God is and how yeah. how sacrificial He is and, and how He doesn't care about the things of this world, meaning money and power in particular. And so, so God help me to not care about that also. Uh, the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God in verse twenty, like like Caleb said, the go tell it on the mountain type verse. What if that's bouncing around in your heart? For, for days, weeks, months, and years to come. And, and so I think that's a focus of Luke 2. What, what did Mary ponder? What, what dots did she keep connecting? Just how good God had been to her and how incredible this Savior would be for her and was. How blessed she was to be right here in, in a peaceful relationship with God and, and with the tools to have peace with others. Um, I think that's there's a lot to say about that, those, those two areas, worldly values versus godly values. And then what is always bouncing around in your heart? What are you pondering? What do you, mm -hmm. what do you keep saying to each other um, going forward? Yeah, great suggestions. Uh, to the first one, worldly values, I think of the hymn, it's 365 in the hymnal, uh, Lord, you are rich beyond all splendor, um, you know, kind of keying off of, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. Yeah, just kind of the reversal of the, you know, and Luke likes that theme, right? That great reversal. And here's another example. Um, the Lord of all, born in these humble circumstances, because, yeah, God values different things than, than Caesar Augustus does or people of the world do. Great. Thank you for those. Let's go then to John 1. Um, we've already mentioned some thoughts on that. Very helpful. But further thoughts that might be uh, an assist to preachers as they're preaching on John 1. Um, one, I think you've mentioned already, uh, Kay, I think Caleb mentioned it. Um, it's a lot to tackle uh, Luke 2, 1 to 20. 
It's a lot to tackle John 1, 1 through 18, because there's just so much packed into these sections. Um, so maybe preachers are thinking about focusing in on one verse or another in uh, John 1. Uh, one thing to note, um, just how it works in the lectionary, in year A, it's John 1, 1 to 14. So the word became flesh is the concluding verse. Um, years B and C, it goes on to verse 18. Um, so uh, we have received grace upon grace, that verse, you know, like in verse 16. Other verses uh, are included at the end there. So just keeping that in mind as you think about year A to year B to year C. Um, but Nathan, uh, any further thoughts that you could share with preachers uh, preaching on John 1 or particular verses you focused on or particular images? I know you mentioned the activity of Jesus here, especially is highlighted. Uh, anything further on that or other angles that preachers could consider? I think um, even though we don't have a, an annual Christmas Day service, at least not yet, at our congregation here, I, I have hijacked Christmas 1 gospel a few times and preached on John 1. <laughs> More than sure. just once every seven years when sure. it would happen to fall on a Sunday because it's such a precious, powerful text. Um, but I, I think the only other thought I would add in addition to highlighting all of the attributes of God, especially in the first five verses, as well as the activity of Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word picture there with he tented among us. And there's, there's so mm -hmm. much to say there, where, where Jesus never wanted earth to be his permanent home, it was never going to be a convenient um, spot to put down deep roots. It was, he made his dwelling, he tented. The, the, the verb has the skene mm -hmm. word in there in the middle of it. And and I think there's a lot of value there to, to help people think through that, that uh, because Jesus tented among us, we have seen his glory. He's full of grace, full of truth it's from the Father, the real deal, and a, a lot that you can say about that. For sure. Uh, Caleb, you've talked a little bit about John 1 already. Any further thoughts to share with preachers on John 1? Yeah, um, I think... Um, I mentioned it in passing before, but uh, the the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper on Christmas morning, um, just the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Uh, that's, I mean, what what better occasion could you have than to celebrate the Lord's Supper on Christmas morning? And and that's maybe not a, a new or novel idea for anyone, but um, but it certainly is uh, a good one, good one here. So uh, again. I go back to my thought of just going deep on on a thing, and, and maybe maybe too, if there are young preachers listening to this, I was sincere in what I said before to, about uh, just kind of my insecurities or uncertainties of oh, what am I going to preach on John one this time? It you know it's kind of like getting assigned to preach John three sixteen. You know what what do you say? Um, but uh, but really just to to slow down and have the opportunity to say I I can just be very contemplative and. Uh, and, and talk about one thing in a lot of different ways um, and, and let it sink in. So um, I, I guess maybe I would, I would just quickly point out three things. One, 
Uh, verse one, in the beginning, you, you have that connection to the Old Testament, obviously. And um, wherever there is a new beginning there, you should also expect to find God's word present. Uh, we see that in the beginning of the world. We see that in uh, uh, conversion um, through the sacrament of baptism, through uh, the power of the word uh, in someone who has not heard it before. Um, you see it in a very vivid way, picturesque way, um, where there's a new beginning. Here's Jesus Christ, the God-man uh, born, um, and, and there is the word of God. So that, that was one connection I wanted to share. Um, verse 10, uh, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Oh my goodness, uh, how much does the world not recognize Jesus today? Um, that's, of course, nothing new, but um, timeless truth. And, um, you know, if, if ever there was a preacher who was looking for, what can I say that's contemporary or relevant? Um, there it lands on Christmas morning. Um, the world did not recognize him. Uh, and, and then uh, just the word becoming flesh, I guess I already touched on that and the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm, I'm not of the opinion. I'm a good Lutheran pastor, I think. Uh, that uh, you have to mention both sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper in every sermon, but uh, certainly a great opportunity here to connect uh, the Lord's Supper with that passage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the word is uh, dwelling um, among us uh, through his word and sacraments right now. Um, and we experience yeah, real communion with him through those means of grace. Uh, well, thank you both for sharing your thoughts with preachers. Uh, any concluding thoughts or things you forgot to mention, Nathan? I think I would like to mention that if you were preaching on John 1, 2, 3, 4 years in a row, and you were reaching the point of, I'm not really sure what to do next to make it fresh, in one of the years when it's going through the 18th verse instead of just the 14th verse, mm -hmm. might be a, a fun challenge to preach somewhat significantly about John the Baptist in there since he's mentioned in verses six, seven, eight, and then again in, in 15 and on his role in, in that. I don't, I have never done that. And I don't know if I ever would perhaps, but, but that was just one thing that I noticed since John has mentioned twice in the one to 18 section, that that might be something to, to try if you're looking for a new angle. And then I'd also just like to put in a plug again, if if you can get your hands on Martin Luther's Christmas book mm -hmm. and just read it every year, um, there's always new things that will strike you. There's always so much gold in, in there and what Luther says about the nativity scene and following that um, it, it'll keep it fresh for you just, just by reading that on your own. Yeah, good advice. If you can get your hands on a copy of that, Luther has just a, a interesting take on different aspects of the nativity and uh, and how it, it was it was great at connecting things to the lives of people in um, his day and age too, and whatever vocations, whatever places in life they found themselves. I think that's a great uh, great model for preachers in our day and age too. Um, yeah, anything further? Caleb? Yeah, I, I guess um, the press of holiday duties and responsibilities as a pastor is significant. Um, but it, it, it seems to be that the more time 
uh, you're able to be with your people. Um, you know, sometimes the sermon writes itself a little bit easier. And uh, and if if we're able to get out of our offices and out of the choir practices and out of the children's services a little bit and and be with our people in their homes and in their lives as much during the time before Christmas. Um, I think that really has a powerful impact on, on preaching during Christmas. Um, it's, uh, it's just a, a special, special thing. Uh, but so easy to get buried in the office during Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great advice. I mean, just an awareness of, uh, what people are experiencing in their lives, I think will, assist a preacher as he's looking for ways to connect God's word um, with his his people and his listeners. Um, Got to talk to him, have conversations, right? That's good encouragement. Try to escape from some of the, uh, the routine things and just get face-to-face with people as much as you can. All right, well, let's leave it there. God bless you, preachers, as you prepare for this wonderful opportunity uh, God is giving us yet again to proclaim that a Savior has been born for us, and that is good news of great joy.